This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. All right, well, let's go ahead and transition to our second topic. We want to uh, start on time as much as possible. So as we get started with our second, let's go ahead and pause for a word of prayer and we'll continue. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much that you have been blessing us here at GYC. Thank you that you brought us here safely. And, and now, Lord, as we continue to investigate uh, this, this subject, I pray that you would give us um, the assurance of the presence of the Holy Spirit to give us understanding and greater insight. And may you be present here today, Lord. Um, teach us and press us, convict us in, in ways that only you can. We want to leave this place having heard a word from you, an instruction from you. So thank you for being our great teacher, and we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Did anyone stay up to see the, any fireworks display on 4th of July, not 4th of July, New Year's Eve? Any, a few? Okay. Um, we weren't here at Louisville, Kentucky yet, um, so we did see some fireworks from a distance up in Michigan, where we were staying before coming here. And, uh, and I know that for many of you that were here, um, you also had the opportunity to participate in a prayer vigil that took place uh, here at the convention. And how many were there for that? Did you have some? Okay, there were some here, there for that. And uh, where you prayed, and what a way to enter into a new year. Um, the only other time, besides New Year's Eve, when there's a huge display of fireworks is, of course, um, when the United States of America celebrated its independence on July 4th. And that day commemorates what our founding father, John Adams, believed to be, quote, the most memorable epica in the history of America, 4th of July. But you know what, though? You know something? The most widely held misconception about the Declaration of Independence is that it was signed on July 4th, 1776. Not the case. In fact, it was in July 2nd that independence was formally declared. July 2nd. And then, and then a couple of days later, on July 4th, 1776, that's when Congress af- approved the final text of the Declaration. And then it wasn't even signed until about a month later. So what is the Declaration of Independence? The Declaration of Independence. What is a a Declaration of Independence? It is properly defined as this. A formal statement by a nation's people asserting their right... To choose their own government. I'll repeat that one more time. What is the Declaration of Independence? A formal statement by a nation's people asserting their right to choose their own government. So as a result of that formal declaration that we made now over 240 years ago, today Americans sing... From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, from New York to L.A., well, there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say that I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. But today... We're not here to reflect on the Declaration of Independence of 1776. That's not what this lecture is about. Or of any other country for that matter. But I'd like to propose to you that we reflect on another kind of Declaration of Independence. A worldview by which one asserts their right to choose their own 
truth. A worldview by which one asserts their right to choose their own truth. Welcome to the postmodern worldview. A declaration of independence of sorts that boastfully declares that there is no absolute truth. Truth comes to surface, comes, I come to take ownership of truth. Yes, truth, my truth. And you do the same in your journey and stay out of mine. Let's go on this together, but your truth is my truth, and my truth is your truth. It's an independence of sorts from the one, capital O, the one who claimed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The irony, the irony. For we boast that now we know we're free, but yet demand the right to claim that we have the right to, to choose our own truth. You see, the postmodern belief is that to merely know truth is impossible. No longer dependent on a moral God to know what is right and what is wrong. There is no need for a higher power or a higher declaration telling me what is right and wrong. I come to determine that for myself. And what I determine is right is right for me. Though it might be wrong for you, but that's okay because that's your truth. It's an independence. This means that what is right for one person may not be necessarily right for another. Therefore, truth is really is not really, rather, know, knowable, if we could put it that way. Postmodern philosopher, just to give you an idea of, of this mindset, Edwina Taborski writes, and I quote her, she said, the meditated concept of truth is that it first admits that there is no such thing as absolute pure truth. There is a reality which may be abstract or sensual, but one cannot access it or know it in itself. In other words, postmodernism seems to mean anything, everything, and nothing all at the same time. Since truth cannot be found, truth is whatever you want it to be, leading to what some have termed cafeteria religion. Have you heard this term before? Cafeteria religion. This means that a person's religion is composed of beliefs selected from different religions. They, 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 they don't reject or deny religion, but they adopt various beliefs and practices from various religions. For example, a person may believe in reincarnation and yet bow down before a crucifix and read some Koran in the afternoon and dance to honor the great spirit at some evening event later that day. All the while not being bothered by the fact that these religions or those religions conflict with one another. But that's, that's not, that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. For the postmodern thinker, truth is relative. It emerges out of a specific community or culture. So it's neither objective or absolute because such, such categories in the postmodern thinking don't exist. And the same is true of religion for the postmodernist. That is to say, Christians have their truth. Muslims have their truth. The proponents of the New Age philosophy have their truth. And in fact, we're all right. So the postmodern mentality is not openly critical of any brand of spirituality. Not critical at all. Not critical at all. So you go to any bookstore now, 
and, and you go to Barnes & Noble or whatever bookstore you go into, and you'll find books and books and books. If you, if you consider the, the, the increase of books that we've had in the, under the category of spirituality or religion, take note that you'll go in there and you'll find less and less writings of a particular world religion. But you'll discover that there's more and more books that are simply promoting the author's spiritual experience, which is, in the modern age of reason, it would have been dismissed as fantasy, or if not border, bordering on insanity. It's like, who is this nutcase, and what is he saying? You know? But now, now it's accepted as legit expression of of what? of what? Of an author's search for spiritual meaning, who is now authoring his or her beliefs or thoughts or ideas, publishing them for the world to read. So it's, it's very common in spiritual circles to hear people saying such things as, if I've heard them, you probably have too. You know, I, I know we disagree. I know we disagree, but you have your truth and I have mine. Or I love the way you speak your truth. Have you heard your truth? Or if reincarnation is your truth, then maybe, maybe we'll reincarnate. Maybe. But it isn't my truth. It isn't mine. Or we can say all different things because we each have our own truth and so on and so forth. So again, it's a philosophy or worldview which asserts the right for each one to choose their own truth. And you see, Satan knows, he knows that we can choose to be dependent on God by believing the truth as it is revealed in the scriptures and renouncing the enemy's lies. He knows, he knows that that's a weapon of our warfare to be able to, to discern and to be able to recognize the truth as it is in Jesus, to be able to, to, to discover and discern the truth as revealed in the scriptures of who I am in Christ and who God is, or we can be influenced to be convinced of Satan's lies and consequently give ground to the enemy. The only way, the only way, and I, and I say this with, with certainty, if only because it's the experience that I've seen in my personal ministry that the only way the father of lies, Satan, can exercise any power over you and hold you under his sway is if you believe his lies. If there's ever a time that you feel that the enemy is, 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 is press, his dark presence is heavy in your life, there's a lie somewhere. If there's, is it, if there's ever a time that you feel that the enemy is really attacking in a certain area and just won't relent, it's just like it keeps bombarding you with, the, with this heavy, heavy burden that comes from the enemy, question, what lie have I come to believe? Because the only ground, the only way to give ground to the enemy is to be convinced or to choose to believe his lie. The moment we do that, we give him ground. I remember one time, this young man started telling me his story. And, and he began to, to tell me, you know, Pastor, I, I, I just feel so under the attack of the devil. It's heavy in my life. I don't know what to do. Tell me your story. And, and I listened to him. I listened to him. I listened to him. And, and as, he, as he spoke, I, I took mental notes. I took mental notes. Because as I was listening to him, he would say things like, my, my prayers don't seem to just, don't seem to go above the ceiling. Like God is busy answering everyone, every, everyone else's prayer except mine. Have you ever felt like that? I, I, just, I, I just can't believe that 
that I can be loved, that I can be forgiven. Lies, lies, and lies. Lies about God, lies about himself, and lies about others. And as we, as we listened, we began to identify some of these lies and recognize that ground indeed had been given to the enemy because he is a liar. John 8, 44 is, of course, our key verse. Jesus himself called the devil the father of lies. There is no truth in him. So being dependent in Christ is being, or rather being in Christ, is being dependent on him for everything. And that is the characteristic of a true disciple. In the making of a true disciple, you will not find a declaration of independence. Ellen G. White wrote these inspired words, speaking of those who, who may be found even within the church. This is uh, volume, five, volume 5 of the Testimonies, page 294. Listen to this. She says, boasting of their independence. <laughs> boasting of their independence, they will, under his bewitching influence, speaking of the devil, they will obey the worst impulses of the human heart. And again, what is the source? That's the fruit. But what is the source? Boasting of their independence. And yet believe that God is leading them. Could their eyes be open to distinguish their captain? They would see that they are not serving God, but the enemy of all righteousness. They would see that their boasted independence is one of the heaviest fetters Satan can rivet on unbalanced minds. I'll read that last sentence again. They would see that their boasted independence is one of the heaviest fetters Satan can rivet on unbalanced minds. The, the prophet Isaiah spoke of the end result of this bewitching influence, you could say. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. I don't know if you've ever read this verse in the context of a description of postmodernism. It's, it's right there. The ancient prophet speaks of it in Isaiah 5.20. He says, and this is the Living Word translation, they say, listen, they say that what is right is wrong and what is wrong is right. And that black is white and white is black. Bitter is sweet, and sweet is bitter. You didn't know Isaiah wrote that, did you? He, he, he's, he's describing, in essence, to a T, this postmodern cultural phenomenon. And it was a declaration of deep independence that led Felix the governor to procrastinate. Want to come another time when it's more convenient. It was the declaration of independence that led Ananias and Sapphira to lie. It was the declaration of independence that led Judas to betray. It was the declaration of independence that influenced the rich young ruler to walk away. And we can go on. There's others in the, in the Bible, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all there. And the declaration of independence declared by many led down a path that did not lead to life. Indeed, the words of the preacher ring true. When he said in Ecclesiastes 1.9, what, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And sure enough, millenniums later, right now, today, in an era of fake news and alternative facts, <laughs> no one can agree on what's true. Because we're no longer dependent. On the God of our fathers, we've made a declaration of independence. And thus, a declaration of independence has led to a Western phenomenon that we know now as postmodern. Now, in contrast, moderns value intellect. They value logic. Simply put, they believe what is logical and reject things that are not logical. So they see life as a series of choices that each individual needs to make. So in the spiritual realm, one either chooses to believe in God or they don't. 
one chooses to accept the Bible as inspired and believe it or not and reject it. This was, this was our modern context. And thus, evangelism, as we know it as 70 Adventists, was, was, was it. It was it. Was, it was it. It's what, it's what drew thousands upon thousands of listeners intrigued by, by, this, by this apologetic presentation or, or at times debates between two in which, in which we were champions, being able to, to defend our beliefs based on what the Bible says. And this was, this was something that was recognized by society and culture as convincing enough to accept and believe. So during this time period, society understood that when it came to moral choices, any person of integrity had to choose one or the other, or society protected us. It's interesting because there were certain moral expectations in society where society cried out, you just don't do that. Back, you know, our grandparents or great-grandparents, I mean, our generations of old, they, they, they said, you know, culture itself protected us. Society said, you don't cross that line. You don't go public with that. You, 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 no, 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 don't, don't sing about that. Don't talk about that. Don't, don't write about that. So on and so forth. In fact, just to give you some, some, um, for examples, did you notice that bedroom scenes in the film industry showed two separate beds for, for, Married spouses, for married couples, society, put them in separate beds when, they, when the, the movie screen shot a scene in the bedroom. Why? Because society says you don't go there. We, we protected moral morality. Um, rock and roll artists sang hymns. Sitcoms affirmed that father's, father knows best and so on and so forth. So postmoderns, on the other hand, are complete opposites to moderns. Truth can be anything and found anywhere. In a, rand, in a recent Barna uh, group research study conducted at a university campus, 20 random students were asked, do you believe there's absolute truth that is true for all people of all time? The responses went something like this. Truth is whatever you believe. There is no absolute truth. If, if there was such a thing as absolute truth, how could we know what it is? So this study reflects the beliefs of most Americans today. Other studies have shown that 91%, 91% of teenagers today, remember we, read, we just considered in the first lecture that today, those under 35 years of age, they were raised by a postmodern context. The parents raised them in that context. 91% of today's teenagers don't believe in absolute truth. And 66% of young adults don't either. So postmoderns are also fine with having a completely different worldview or no life view at all. They'll say, you know, you have your concept of the same world that I live in, and I have a different one, but we're both correct. So postmoderns have a sense that all belief systems have equal value, that no belief system is superior to the other. As says one postmodern person, faith comes under a variety of different wrappings, but inside each is the same gift. So everyone should be free to enjoy his or her own expression of the same cosmic truth. So it's for this reason, now that you know, we get a good sense of, of, the, of the core mindset. This, for this reason, most postmoderns have a very negative view of Christianity. Or at least they're very suspicious. Why? Because Christianity claims absolute truth. In the Bible, and the Bible only, sola scriptura, we base our conclusion, our truths, on the word of God. They see Christians and Christianity as nothing more than a group of people who hate those who are not just like themselves. 
And that right there is, 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 is repellent. Postmoderns highly, highly dislike that kind, of, that kind of mindset or approach. You think you're better than me? You preach a truth that you claim is the right one and mine is wrong? Hmm. I want to pause for a moment just to change things up a little bit. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask that you get into maybe groups of two or three. Choose someone near you, beside you, kind of gather together or just get into a small little group there. Groups of two or three at the most. Um, and I'm gonna, I, wanna, I wanna throw out a few questions to you to, for you to interact for a few moments uh, with, with one another, okay? So why don't you just kind of look, look to your sides, determine what group you're gonna be in. Let's take a little, little, little change here. And, um, and if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna give you two, two verses in scripture. So if you have your Bibles or if you have your phones, um, whatever you use, why don't you take a look, and, um, and we're going we're gonna to talk about a few things I want you to discuss with um, the person next to you, okay? And this is what I want you to discuss. I'm going to give you two Bible references to refer to to kind of discuss that a little further, and that is postmoderns claim that, that truth is relative, okay? In other words, you know, yours is yours and mine is mine. That it doesn't exist throughout the ages. So, question. What does the Bible say about the accuracy of that claim? That, that truth is relative and it doesn't exist throughout the ages. What does the Bible claim or what does the Bible say about the accuracy of that claim? There's two verses I want you to consider. Proverbs 14.12. Take a look at Proverbs 14.12. Proverbs 14.12. And Jeremiah 10.23. Jeremiah 10. 23. Proverbs 14, 12, Jeremiah 10, 23. Take a minute or two, just kind of paraphrase those verses, talk, answer the question, what does the Bible say about the claim or the accuracy of the claim that truth is relative? What does the Bible say? Go ahead and discuss that for a few minutes. Proverbs 14, 12, Jeremiah 10, 23. Okay, so postmodernism claims that truth is relative. But based on those two scriptures and others, the Bible expresses something different. I want to take you to a, a verse to also ponder, and that is in Luke 14. So if you can come with me to Luke 14. Luke 14. Luke 14, and notice verse 25 and 26. Luke 14, verses 25 and 26. And it says in verse 25, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them. And let me pause for a minute, because I, I find that verse alone quite revealing. It says that great multitudes went after him. The reality is that today... Great multitudes, great multitudes seem to be in our churches. Great multitudes flock to our churches. Great multitudes are all around us. We hear the name of Jesus on, the, on, on, any ra- on most radio stations, both Christian and non-Christian, in different uses. But we hear the name of Jesus. And, and here we have a similar scenario in which great multitudes are, went with him. But it says, and he turned and said to them. How, how many of you have a younger sibling? Any, any older kids here? Okay. So, you, you know, I, I have a younger sibling. You know the feeling where your younger sibling, when you were, especially when you were younger, that they would just, at times, shadow, they would follow you. They would just go, they would follow wherever you would go. And as a big brother, I got tired of that sometimes. And I would say, Melissa, would you please stop? Leave me alone. You're following me everywhere. Just go play by yourself somewhere else. Let me, give me some space. Now, am I saying that Jesus had that kind of response or attitude? No, not at all. But, but, very close. <laughs> because 
he, he turned as if like, okay, guys, he turned, okay, and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Notice how Jesus just comes, boom, with the shock factor. I mean, he comes in with the intention to create shock, to say a statement that causes people to go, because what he says is pretty radical. It says, if you don't hate father, mother, brother, sister, wife, brothers, children, brothers, and sisters, even your own life also, what do we call that collection of labels? Father, uh, Father, mother, wife, children. What do we call that? Family. And family, you would agree, is a priority relationship in our lives. You know, I still talk to my sister. I still talk to my mom and dad. But there's countless friends I've had over the years, for whatever reason, we don't stay in touch anymore. Not because we walked away, you know, with grudges or in bad terms. No, just because life takes us a different direction. But not family. Family sticks around. It's a priority relationship. And Jesus is saying... In essence, he's saying you got to hate making anyone or anything a priority or having a priority relationship with him or her or that above me. Jesus says, even hating your own life also. Bible claims that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And he is the the life and hate making any other conclusion even hate making your own life a priority in the way that you conclude what is truth the bible makes some absolute claims another question that i would want to post to you for you to have some more interaction. Let's, let's, let's discuss this a little bit more. A common belief is that all religions worship the same God. Why or why not? Why don't you discuss that for just a moment? Turn to your neighbor. A common belief is that all religions worship the same God. Why or why not? Why don't you discuss that for a moment? Why, why or why not? Go ahead and discuss that for just a few minutes. All right. Common belief is that all religions worship the same God. That all paths, all roads lead to the same destination, right? I remember one time, it was in Michigan, and for those who are from Michigan, there's an event called the Annual Michigan Men of Faith, and it's held up at Cedar Lake, and a group from our church decided we would travel and head out there for this, for this event. And, um, and it was evening the night before, and so we carpooled. We, we chose to travel together and follow one another. There was just two cars. We would follow the other. And I was driving the second car, and we, we were full. All seats were taken. And, and as we traveled, I, I, I was determined to reach the destination by following the driver in front of me because he knew how to get there and I did not. And so I was just simply following the car in front of me. Well, we engaged in very lively conversation in that car. We talked about who knows what, and we just talked about all sorts of things. And as we're driving, every once in a while, I would set my eyes on the car in front of me just to be sure, yep, oh, there he is. I'm going the right way. Well, as we were driving to this destination, um, we, we took an unexpected turn into a residential area. And I thought, why are we going into this neighborhood? Like, it was a totally different town, totally different place, but yet, I'll, I'll go where he leads me, because he must know where he is going, because I'm following him. 
And then we took a left, then it took another right, and then another left. Now our conversation completely stopped, and we began to ask one another, what in the world are we doing? This doesn't make any sense. And we finally stopped in front of someone's home, and we thought, this is really crazy. Did, did anyone tell us that we were going to stop and visit someone? No, no. What, dude, what's, what's up with this guy? And the door opened, and lo and behold, this lovely young lady came out of the car that we had no idea who it was. We had been following totally the wrong person. And in, in the course of the drive there, I, there's another car, same year, same model, same color, just appeared in front of me. And I was determined to go wherever it would lead me. <laughs> Little did I realize that I had neglected to pay attention to who the driver was. You know, there are times, there are times when there's a way that seems right unto a man. But in this case, in this case, though I thought I was on the right road, I did not pay attention to who the driver or the conductor was. The driver, the driver, the conductor is the one who leads the way. And as we examine teachings and word and, and teachings and beliefs that are, that are expressed, though it may sound very appealing and it might sound very right, the greater question is, who is the mastermind behind the inspiration of such thoughts? What, what, what is the fruit of such thoughts? Where did it come from? Let's examine the truth by, by taking a close examination of where it comes from and who the conductor is. You know, when, when you look at a scripture, the question that, that we can ask is, what is the way to worship God. Having concluded that the Bible contains a lot of absolutes, is there, is there a Bible claim that there is actually only one acceptable way to worship God? Does the Bible claim that? Why don't you talk about that for a moment, and if so, if you say, yes, there is only one acceptable way to worship God, well, what proof, do you, what verse do you have that would express that, that conclusion? So discuss further now. And the question is, what is the only w acceptable way to worship God if there is one? Answer with the scriptural, scriptural reference. Why don't you discuss that for a brief moment? What is the only acceptable way to worship God? What is the only acceptable way to worship God? Is there only one acceptable way? If so, where do you find that in the Bible? Some would say that the church, the church has to be a part of the equation. Well, is that the only way to acceptable way to worship then? Going to church? All right. Is there is there only one acceptable way to worship God? If you examine scripture, you may have come across this verse. Maybe, maybe not. It's in John. Did some of you find a verse in John? John, did any of you go to chapter 4? John chapter 4. Did anyone go to verse 23 and 24? John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Notice what Jesus himself said. 
The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and, what? Truth. And notice how verse 23 describes true worshipers. True worshipers. Implying, implying that one can worship falsely or wrongly, for true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And I don't know about you, but I often hear that what that means is that some worship with, with a very charismatic, emotional manner in spirit, and then some are more solemn and, and serious, but they worship in truth. So you got the, 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 you know, the wild bunch here that worship in spirit, and then these more, you know, reserved individuals worship in truth. And how we need to combine both. We need to be, you know, you know you've heard those, 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 those thoughts. But I wonder, I wonder if we're missing, we're missing something. We're missing the point. We're missing the point. Because the reality is, is that, when one worships, the Bible says they ought to worship in spirit and truth. The word and in the Greek is kai, which means and also, and also, therefore. It doesn't, it doesn't seek to communicate that there are two distinct ways of worshiping, and some are here, some are there, but we ought, no, 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 no. There's no two different ways of worshiping. There's only one way in spirit and truth. And when you think about it, it says God is spirit, and those who worship him may, must worship in spirit and truth. In other words, we ought to worship in the spirit of godliness, in the spirit of worship, which is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit expressed in the presence of the Holy Spirit, in the presence of God, ignited by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's God-inspired worship that's led by the Holy Spirit, which finds truth, the word of God, thus saith the Lord, as the firm foundation. It's based on truth. It's based on the word of God. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So here we have, in essence, the presence of the Godhead. Do you see them all there? The Father, the Son, the truth, and the Holy Spirit. So we have the presence of the Godhead, and the very heart of worship is to worship filled with the very presence of God, being immersed, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, is to be immersed under, so to speak, to be immersed in the presence of God, and to be able to base our experience on, thus saith the Lord, in the word of God, as the firm foundation. And what we discover here is that worshiping God in spirit and in truth, those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So what is truth? Jesus made the radical statement I am the way, the truth, and the life. So why do you suppose people doubt a person can know the truth? Why do you suppose a person can, can doubt whether someone can really know the truth? Because after all, the Bible does say that the Spirit of God leads us or guides us, right, into all truth. And so if we're just worshipers in the Spirit, caught up in this emotional frenzy, how could we do so with truth off to the side? For that same Holy Spirit that compels us to worship God is the same Spirit that will also lead us to the truth. You can't have a, a Holy Spirit ignited worship apart from the truth, the Word of God. You can't just separate the two. The two are one in the same. In fact, the Greek word enthusiasm comes from a root word that means inspired in God, it, in th the, the Greek itself, 
expresses that it's in the presence of God that one is truly enthusiastic as they're filled with the Spirit of God. And so how must we worship God in spirit and in truth? I remember coming across a Peanuts, car, Peanuts you know, the, uh, the cartoon. It depicted a, a conversation between Linus and Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown was confused and disillusioned by his, quote, failing beliefs. And his friend confront, comforted him and, and gave him these timely words. He says, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. When you examine the story of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, the, the, mo- the saddest story found in the scriptures, we find there that Eve, was she not sincere? She was very sincere. She sincerely thought that she just might become like God. She sincerely thought that in listening to this voice that was so compelling and attractive that she would be transformed into a higher power that would have the prerogative to judge between right and wrong. In essence, we talk about the first lie being thou shalt not die, but in essence, the first lie was the first lie was that you can be your own God. That was expressed prior to "Thou shalt not die." You can choose between right and wrong. In other words, you can dethrone God, the moral God, from His throne in dictating or determining what is right and wrong. You choose for yourself what is right and wrong. So the first lie, in essence, could be the postmodern principles that are so prevalent today, maybe arguably more than thou shalt not die, be your own God. Eve was sincere in listening to that voice, sincerely wrong. And when we think about who Jesus is in making these radical claims, I am the way, the truth, and the life, either Jesus was... And is the way, the truth, and the life. Or he's a lunatic. He's, he, he, was, he was out of his mind. He was, he was a man who had a mental illness. Because no one in their right mind would make a claim like that. Or he knew exactly what he was doing. But lying about it. Con artist of sorts. Deceiving people intentionally. Cunningly, who was Jesus? And in Matthew 16, as, as we wrap up our thoughts for this segment, Matthew 16, um, come with me to verse 13. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Huh. That question were to be asked today. The response would really not be that different. Maybe some other names, names that we may have never heard of, but names nonetheless, they they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. There was different opinions of who Jesus was, and he said to them, to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? But who do you say that I am? The question that is being asked to you right now. Who do you say that Jesus is? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus did not correct him. Jesus did not deny it. 
Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. What Jesus says is, Peter, spot on. That is who I am. And it's not flesh and blood. It's not your own mind. It's not your own conclusion or determination that reached that truth. It is, was given to you by my Father. And in the words of C.S. Lewis, I leave you with these thoughts, taken from the book Mere Christianity, pages 55 and 56. He wrote, Either this man, referring to Jesus, was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this being a, a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. And he did not intend to. He told it straight. And we either believe it or not. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we're coming to realize that we, as we do live in a challenging time, in, in very, very perplexing worldview, yet we also know, Lord, that we are not dealing with flesh and blood, but we are dealing with spiritual warfare, intense warfare, not merely between good and wicked angels, but warfare between truth and lies. And we find ourselves right in the middle. Yet we are reminded, Lord, that you are the God who not, does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love, and a sound mind. We thank you for a sound mind that can discern between truth and lies in the midst of this great controversy. Humble us, Lord. Baptize us with your spirit. Put us right into the thick of your presence as we stand for truth based on on your inspired word given to us. And so, Lord, continue to instruct us and prepare us to face the challenges ahead, but have no fear, because whether it's by many or by few, truth will prevail, and truth will set men and women free. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.